Yeah, so, you know, we're talking a bit about what Canada's doing to help out in Turkey and Syria. And as I said, you know, we sent an assessment team and we've offered the $10 million. And let's just contrast that to some of the other countries. I mentioned Australia. They're also going with $10 million, But they've also promised to deploy a search and rescue team of up to 72 people and have them there by tomorrow. Um, two U.S. Agency for International Development teams with 80-plus people and dogs already on their way. The U.K. sent 76 search and rescue specialists with four search dogs. Uh, China, 82 earthquake rescuers and four dogs. India, two teams of 100 people have been sent. Pakistan, sending two C-130 planes with relief supplies and 36 search and rescue personnel. Japan sent piles of equipment. Poland, Taiwan, and Switzerland all did that as well. Um, and the list just goes on. Qatar, Iraq, the United Arab Emirates, Russia, Greece, Israel, Spain have already sent or pledged to send rescue teams or military members, along with all kinds of aid. So... Uh, Finland stepped up, Germany stepped up, Saudi Arabia. I mean, just the list of countries that goes on and on. And Canada has sent an assessment team. I understand that there is a need to assess the situation, but at the same time, the bigger need, in my mind, is help. Maybe you can do both at the same time. I don't know, but let's chat with uh, Dr. Ferry DeKerko, who's a senior fellow at the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa and a fellow of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Um, doctor, thanks so much for joining us again. Always a pleasure to chat. With pleasure. When I take a look at this, I, I, how do you read this uh, in terms of what Canada is doing in response uh, to the situation versus, well, a, a list of dozens of other countries around the world? Are we dropping the ball here? We've always dropped the ball in, in the last <laughs> few years, it seems, because we, there's a kind of a navel gazing on one side and then the, the, the lukewarm in any foreign field on the part of the prime minister. We don't have a real foreign policy. We try to develop an Asian policy, repeating some of the old trodden stuff, but not really anything that looks muscular as it should be. Uh, you know what? Compared to 25 years ago, and okay, I'm an old time, and we always go into the back of mm -hmm. history, but we had a foreign policy. We had an influence, and, and that applies to both sides. We had, with Axworthy on the liberal side, we had a very energetic foreign policy that was successful. Under Mr. Harper, the tone was entirely different, but at least we were present. We were, he was a bit too pro-Israel and didn't mind talking, you know, ignoring the, the Arabs. But we had a foreign policy. Now we have words and we have pop. So yeah, you yeah. can't expect me to give you more than that. I must say, I, I, I'm not surprised, I'm disappointed, but I, I, I think what is, you know, the problem is that when you don't know much about what goes on into a country, you, you lose the interest. And considering that we have a foreign policy that is static as in, in very internal to bureaucrats, and I, I'm a former bureaucrat, I'm saying that without hesitation, because in my days we were thinking, right now in foreign affairs and all these various GAC institutions, we're, we're just managing programs mm -hmm. and, and we spend vetting our own programs and we look at them again and while the world moves, we're static. So, I, I, in fact, I, I much prefer to talk about the reality of yeah. the situation on the ground than spending time on bemoaning the fact that we're so little on the international stage compared to years, uh, years past or compared to many other countries that you've quoted eloquently. Yeah, I'm with you on that doctor you're right it's disappointing but uh, let's talk about the situation on the ground yeah. i mean we know that window is closing right we're transitioning now from rescue to recovery 
Yeah, we are from rescue to recovery, and, and I admire the people working on the ground because, you know, the, the, the problem is that you're talking about a region where it's, it's a disaster adding to ongoing catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and Brother Erdogan, who always boasts that he's the greatest guy on earth and even in the sky, he's losing a lot of traction because, first of all, the building codes that are normal for a such a dangerous area of the world, very prone to earthquake, all those measures have never been uh, implemented. You know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a tax in Turkey for, for earthquake uh, management, and the problem is that nobody knows where the money that is <laughs> accruing will go. So I don't know whether your house in Turkey is better built than the one in California, but, but you don't know things like that. So all of that, and, and Erdogan is facing an election, and, and now he's running like little rabbit around the various points where the earthquake struck, because he says he's got a recapture, but there's a lot of angst and, and angriness. But I, you know, the, the problem is we're dealing with a region uh, that is in, in really in massive turmoil. Have you already been into an earthquake yourself? I, a very, very minor one in Southern California a few years ago. It lasted for about 10 seconds and I thought somebody, I was in a trailer and I thought somebody was shaking the trailer. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess you, then you don't know what it no, is. No, I have no I idea. Was on the 20, <laughs> I was on the 20th floor of a massive earthquake in Pakistan in the in 90, in that, what was it, in 92 or 91, anyway. And I can tell you, when you see the chandeliers moving 10 meters from one side to another, you think, okay, if it falls on me, Roger and out. But so, so, you know, it's one of the most traumatic experiences. So I feel for all these people. So let's, let's talk a bit about the, the Syrian side and then the Turkish side, because I think people have to know, because so few people have traveled to, to Syria, and of course ever since the, the Assad family took control, we look at them like you know, pariah, yeah. and yet it's a, it's a beautiful country it's the wonderful people, I travel all over Syria and, and it's, it's absolutely a wonderful wonderful place, the problem it's been ongoing for a conflict for 12 years, uh, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's government in opposition, but these guys shoot as opposed to talking, uh, there's some very extremist group that was that stemmed from the Arab Spring, from Daesh. You know Daesh, the 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 the, the, the famous group that is still alive and kicking in Syria, in Syria, in Iraq. Uh, the, the, those those extremist religious warmongers. So so the, the the problem is that it's still in a state of war. You, you know that the refugee. We're talking about millions, millions of Syrians yeah. that are refugee in their own country because there's a, this kind of divide between the north and the south, and and Turkey is involved and controls a band of 20 kilometers along the whole border of Syria and Turkey because the the Turks have a problem with the Kurds. The Americans support the Kurds because they were the best fighter against Daesh. You know, I could go on and on and on and on, and I would lose your listener in less than two minutes. <laughs> the problem is that you've got to realize that it's a quagmire over there, and that Assad, who, who everybody wanted out, the American had all vowed Assad would be gone. Yeah. Assad is still in power, and brother, brother Erdogan thinks that now it's time to make peace with Assad because there's no other way. Meanwhile, you have, you know, in a way, in a way, if you look at the situation geographic where, where the Syrian earthquake has exploded, you feel for the people. And on the other hand, 
And, you know, there'll be more people, more Syrians saved than they're on the Turkish side because all those Syrian refugees are in tent and therefore sure. there's, there's no building to fall on them. But it, it's, it's the legacy, you know, this whole affair is the legacy first of the Arab Spring, then the Daesh, the, the Muslim group, then the Kurdish situation. There's no end to, to the problem that is facing that region. So I, I admire that there's still teams working on, on the, you know, the rambles of the, of the earthquake. But that is, is, in fact, a humanitarian issue. But the, the day after will be just as horrific than it is today. Yeah, and, and, and I guess the concern is uh, there's a reluctance from a lot of countries to jump in with both feet in Syria. We're hearing that a lot from groups on the ground, that a lot of the aid and a lot of the rescue efforts, they're not in Syria. It's focused on Turkey right now. Well, absolutely, because considering that you're talking about an, an insurgency in, in northern Syria that the government doesn't control, so it doesn't have the sway of order on, in their own country, so you have no idea when the team gets through to, to the Syrian border, what is going, will it survive some of the group? Because Daesh, Daesh that we conquered, we vanquished, etc., it's still there and it's still, still kicking very, you know, it's, it's a move from a, from a movement to become an insurgency, which we have never leveled completely. That it's no surprise that from time to time you hear the Americans say, "Oh, by the way, we got that leader of Daesh." Okay, yeah. fine. The leader falls, and then you've got ten more that are coming up. So, the whole this, this whole area is in turmoil. And I have to say, although I'm very critical of Erdogan, I do recognize that we need a stable regime in Turkey. Maybe not as undemocratic as Erdogan, but at least they still have election, and he tries to to screw it, screw it in one way or another. But the bottom line is Turkey is a member of NATO. Turkey is important as a kind of in-between between Moscow and, 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 and even the United States. So, so Turkey is a very important strategic player there, but it is also a, a kind of a modest dictator that wants to control his country, like as he has mm-hmm. done for the past 20 years. So we're living, you know, you've got to see that area where it, it struck. And it's also an area where the external actors are blossoming. You've got Russia, which always looked at Syria as its key stranglehold in the Middle East. Syria has been the all-weather friend of Russia yes, for reasons yeah. that are strictly strategic. Then you have, of course, as I said, the Kurdish issue for Turkey. You have, of course, Iran that med- meddles because of the Shia uh, component of the Syrian entity. So there's this mix and Iran is, is, is playing cahoots in that one too. And then you have, of course, the U.S., big player, uh, wanted to get rid of Daesh, still works on it, doesn't want Assad, but will have to accept Assad. And you have also Israel. You know, all these players are there because Israel is very worried about the Islamist threat. Uh, they know that Hezbollah is also Hezbollah, you know, the group that works in, in uh, Lebanon, but is also harbored in, in Syria. They wanted to make sure that, they, that nothing until yeah, it come yeah. to it. And that's, that explained, in fact, in part why uh, Israel is rather timid in terms of supporting uh, Ukraine because they've got that special relationship, uh, you know, with, with, with Russia and they have 
planes flying against the, the, the you know, uh, all, all the, the Muslim Brotherhood and whatever that are playing footsies in that region. So their flights are flying close by the Russians. So they don't want to destroy that arrangement between Russia and themselves, Israeli, that no, no yeah, harm comes to their million, own airplane. million moving. Pro- yeah, I mean, Ferry, you're, oh, you're right. So many pieces. To try and extra- exactly. Yeah, I mean, the, the puzzle is so complex uh, and it causes issues. I, I really appreciate your time, but I do have to get to a break. Thanks very much, Ferry. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.